Good morning, everyone. Good to see y'all. You're brave the rain. You must really love Jesus. You must really. Thank you, worship team, production team. I'm kind of biased towards them, but they are incredible. They show up here early, Sunday mornings, 7 o'clock a.m., because I'm that kind of guy that makes, you know, that happen. Uh, so they can't sleep in too long. But this, thank you, Scott. This, um, this team we have here is incredible. They are absolutely incredible. And they show up and they make sure this place is ready to host an encounter with God for all of us. And not just them. It starts at the parking lot with our First Impressions team who drove you through the rain today, get into here, and they have umbrellas to hold for you and all that stuff. And our people that check you in and guest services and our children's team who does an amazing job making sure our the gospel is fun and creative for our kids to be able to enjoy and to experience his love that he has for them. All the way to our prayer and communion teams, which is just an incredible place to be a part of. And I am so privileged to be able to minister to you today up here on this platform. My name is Ricky. For those of you who don't know me, yes, that does deserve a woo. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm usually over there playing keys and the sweet sounds and melodies and singing those kind of things. But today, I got this thing on, so you know what that means. It's Garth Brooks time. Van, get back up here. We're going friends in low places. No, I'm just kidding. But we'll see what happens. I might, I might end up using one of his songs. We'll see. But if you uh, were thinking, okay, he's the worship leader, I guarantee you he's talking about worship. You'd be right, because I am. I am today. Specifically, I'm going to talk about one question. The question that I... Had to, I have to ask myself, and a question I've had to ask myself, and a question that God has helped me answer throughout several years, and that question is, why do I worship? And it's a question that's not only for me as the worship pastor here, but also one that all of you have to ask for yourself too, and answer. Kelly and I, so those of you who know my wife, Kelly, right? She's great. She's absolutely great. We've been married for 10 years, all right? And... What we did is a little bit different. A lot of couples, they'll, you know, jewelry, maybe a trip to a beautiful remote island, Turks and Caicos, Hawaii, maybe Grand Canyon. But what we did was we encapsulated our crawl space. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Let's spend a bunch of money on something we'll never see. And that was going to be our 10-year anniversary. But no, we did have a little bit of a trip. But it was, um, that's what we ended up doing. But we have been married for 10 years. And initially in our marriage, we knew going in, that we wanted to have children. And it was something that was on our heart. It's a desire of our heart that God put there. And so we were probably about two years in and we started to try to have children. And one of the things that I had learned growing up, and it wasn't because of ill intent or anything like that, but in the Baptist denomination I was a part of, if you did what it took to create a baby, if you did that thing, you would get a baby. And that's kind of how it worked. And that's the most PG way I can kind of put it. But that's how it would work. And we had True Love Weights banquets. We had purity rings. We had, and for those of you who don't know what those are, basically you would have a banquet where you'd eat dinner and then you'd all go up in front of your friends and peers and you'd sign this thing that said, I'll be pure until marriage. And the idea is great behind it and I'm not casting any hatred in that way at all. But that's what I thought was going to happen when I got married and when we started to have kids, try to have kids. That's what I thought was going to happen. And quickly realized that's not what happens for a lot of us. And 
we talk to everybody about it and we're having difficulty. Is this, is this normal? And they say, yes, this is normal. This is part of kind of the process. Sometimes birth control has to wear itself out. And when that's done, you'll be good to go. And sure enough, we did, we did um, have a little bit of success early. And it was around Christmas time. I forget what the actual year was, but it was around Christmas time. And we were so excited. We told, you know, her parents and we were going to do this cool thing where we put the uh, pregnancy test in a gift bag from my mom, which is probably not super sanitary, but that's what we, that's what we decided to do because we were going to be like, hey, surprise, here you go. Uh, but so we did that and it was amazing. It was fun. We got celebrated and I'm the oldest in my family. So it's their first grandchild. So it was just like, woohoo. Well, around January of that, a couple weeks later, we basically started having some problems with it, ended up miscarrying that life. And that was a reality that I had not considered would be ours. Uh, like I said, based upon you do this, you get that. That's kind of what I was preparing for. And now we have a whole different situation. And I'm still the worship pastor over here. In the midst of hardship and pain, in the midst of singing songs that I didn't believe, which is what I had to do oftentimes during that time, in the midst of wrestling with fairness of it all, God began to show me what worship really is. He began to take me on that journey because I believed all those things, but had yet to really be tested. I believed that God would accomplish what concerned me, Psalm 138. I believed he was near to us and to our sorrow, Psalm 34. I believed he was capable of answering our prayers and granting us the desires of our heart, Psalm 37. I believed all things would work together for good because we loved God and were seeking after him but I didn't feel a single bit of it. One specific time, I remember this, because this is what was kind of a seminal moment in this process. We had just had another miscarriage and we were going to lead worship that Sunday. Kelly was actually up here with me. And we had this song that we sang. It was our go-to during that time. And it was called Shepherd. And the lyrics are, you'll lift my head above the mighty waves. You're able to keep me from stumbling. In my weakness, you are the strength that rises from within. Good shepherd of our soul, take my hand and lead me on. The bridge is like, you'll not forsake me. It just declares that out to God. But I didn't feel a single part of it. And one of the things that about me is that when I am not really, you know, got some pizzazz about something or jiving on it, I, or trying to figure things out, or I'm going through an emotional time or a conflict or things like that, I go internal. And so I get real quiet. I shrink into a shell and I'm trying to figure things out. And as a leader, that's not the really the best posture to really have, especially when you're a worship leader and you're trying to, you know, get people to look up and direct them praise to God. That's not the best to have. So Paul in his love and kindness towards me after the service, he said, man, uh, and usually if he's talking to me, it's, you know, something, I, gotta fix, I gotta fix something if it's one of those call me into the office kind of moments. And so he just said, I need more of you. Just need more of you. And I was kind of, he had no idea all this had happened uh, that week. And I just kind of told him, and this is what he told me. Sometimes we simply worship in faith. Now that was something that I had an idea about, but never heard it put that way. And it surely never meant anything to me. It didn't change my emotions or circumstances, but it sparked something that God used to begin the process of refining what worship meant to me. 
I believed the promises of God. I even believed the songs I was singing. I believed the lyrics were true. They were describing true characteristics of an unchanging God. I believed that. I just hadn't been in a place where those things had been tested yet. You see, it's easy for me, it's easy for us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise when everything is going good, when we're not having to wear masks, when we have money in the bank, when we're healthy. But it's a whole nother thing when you get a bad diagnosis, you have something that is not what you planned. We had a big TBD, a to be determined on our, basically all the things we had hoped and desired for with children. We had talked to everybody, doctors, people that we knew and trusted. And the most common answer we got was, it's uh, gonna be fine. Just gotta kinda like keep, keep on trying. And that's a good answer for me because I loved the trying part of it. Trying was, it's great, it's great. Still enjoy it to this day. But um, all that to say, faith says, I believe the promises of God are yes and amen, according to 2 Corinthians 1.20. Even though I don't see it, even though I don't feel it, I believe it to be true of my God, of whom there is no shadow of turning due to change. So we get that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Morning by morning, the mercies I see, thou changes not, thy compassion they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. That's where that comes from. So I was really left with two choices on this journey. I either could surrender or I could retreat. The latter I knew was futile, even though it felt better to be mad and frustrated with a situation I didn't think was fair because that's where I was. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I am giving my life for, in your service, I thought that would kind of give me a little bit more favor on the kind of things that I'm really wanting. And if you're going to tell me that's not, well, that's, we're going to have a half a conversation about this. Okay? And that's, that's pretty much where I was. But thanks be to God, through both the community I had here, friends in my life, people that surrounded us, in the word of God, I chose to surrender and we chose to obey, to bow, but it wasn't blind. It was a choice informed by our faith. It was a choice to follow his word, to bow our frustrations, our will, our doubts and fears before the only one who really could do anything about it. You see, this principle is one that I want us to kind of understand. I'm going to spend a little bit of time unpacking for you. And that's the principle we worship through obedience because that's what we had to do not only because it's important to God, but also because it speaks volumes about the posture of our own hearts. So I want to give you a little bit of example. So all of us in here, we would say that stealing is not something we should make a part of our lives. It's important to God. You know, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. It's up there in the top. It's important, right? Here's how many times in Scripture it's mentioned. It'll be over here on the screen for you. It's 21 times. Okay, it's important. We follow it. Now I want you to look at how much worship is mentioned in the Bible. It's 107 times. So based upon the sheer number of references, what do you think God cares more about? So why then do we have such a hard time submitting, obeying, and bowing to this idea? The word often used in the Old Testament in the Hebrew word is called shakah. 
Stacy told me how to pronounce that because she's our pronunciation expert. Anything Hebrew or Greek, she's our scholar. We go to her. So if you need anything pronounced, not that you would, but if you did, just ask her. Uh, in Genesis 24, 26, I'm only kidding there. Genesis 24, 26. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. That literally is translated, then the man bowed down and bowed down. Just so that he could be clear as he could be about that. It's not a figurative thing. When people worship in the Old Testament, they really bowed. They actually bowed. They bowed their hearts and their bodies, the spiritual and the physical, as a representation because it was a demonstration of lordship in their lives. Now, if you're like me, sometimes I look at the Old Testament and say, well, we had Jesus. He's our buddy. So now we don't have to do those kind of things. He's not going to ask that from me. Well, I'll tell you what the New Testament says and the word that he used for it. That word is called proskuneo. It literally means to prostrate yourself before the Lord. So they go even lower in the New Testament. But here's a cool part about it that we'll unpack in just a minute. It takes on an added element, and that's to kiss the hand. So it's not only to prostrate yourself to bow lower, it's to kiss the hand. Like a, when you, somebody would enter in, like a citizen or a townsperson in an old uh, movie in the medieval times, they'd kiss the hand of the king. It's literally that kind of meaning. Revelation 5:11 says, Then I looked and I heard the voices of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every created thing which is in heaven or on earth or under the earth or on the sea and all the things in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be the blessing, the honor, the glory, and the dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures were saying, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. They fell down and they fell down. So it's not as if the New Testament comes and saves us from something that the Old Testament put out. It's not as if Jesus comes and says, no, you don't got to do that anymore because I was here. So while the Old Testament focuses on the worshiper's submission of body and heart, the New Testament adds something even more, and that's the element of affection. But either way you look at it, in terms of how worship is used, it involves bowing, always. Now, there's also this little principle. What about David when he danced naked in the street? Nobody's doing that here. So what do you mean? I got to bow. Well, the problem is, one, if you want to do that, I'm all for it. Bless us. Not here. I can't get the lights quite dim enough. We get them kind of dim, not all, not dim enough. But there's not a word for that that refers to worship in the Bible. Just like there's not one for standing, for raising your hands, for clapping, for jumping, for air drumming on the seat in front of you, for putting up your rock fist when Laurel nears a solo like she did today. Amen. There's not a word for that. Because in its most fundamental, purest form, worship is a complete and total submission of our entire being to God. It's lordship Christianity. It's what we talk about so much here. It's that he can be God, but this difference in he's Lord. That means there's not an area of my life he's not welcome to come and rule and reign over. And this is something that he tests me not only then, but he tests me to this day. I'll give you another. In August this year, we're in the middle of the pandemic. We're in the kind of, well, maybe it was July. I'm going to say it's July. We were in the pandemic. Okay. Um, a lot, we can't go anywhere. I got kids at home. And it's basically 
I've got to be able to produce stuff to, to like either cut the yard or do something to kind of get energy. And when I'm at, in the house with them and it's about four o'clock came around and it was time to crack open an IPA, baby. And that's a, that's a beer for some of you that don't know. And what God began to show me was that maybe I'm relying a little bit on that. And he started to ask me for it. He said, I want that because maybe what you really need is not that. Maybe you need me. So I'm going to try to poke a little bit there. He asked me to bow, right? Asked me to obey. And you know what I did? We got a bad connection. I can't hear you. Because <laughs> that steak don't taste quite as good if I don't have a bourbon with it, you know? You can't be asking me to do this in a pandemic. Come on. Look at all the stuff we're giving up. Gonna take away the one thing I enjoy? You're kidding me. I stiffened my neck towards it. Here's what I want to kind of show you. If you all take your hand, put it on the back of your neck, okay? Now strengthen your neck muscles. All right, try to push your head down. You can't. That's what he's referring to stiff neck. It's impossible to bow when your neck is stiff. It's a story that. As old as the children of Israel, where God first debuts this word in Exodus 33, and he refers to them often as stiff-necked people, refusing to bow, refusing to worship. See, for me, I had to come to the conclusion that for the kingdom of God to reign and rule in my life, for me to be the husband I wanted to be, to be the dad I wanted to be, the worship pastor I wanted to be, the friend I wanted to be, to see victory in areas in my life that I wanted to see victory, addictions broken, to see the power of God manifest itself fully in my life, I had to bow whether I felt like it or not, whether I thought it was fair or not. Because in our story, I sure as heck didn't think it was fair. 14-year-olds getting pregnant the first time they do that thing I talked about. How fair is that? You know what? Come on. Come on. I'm supposed to be your favorite. How fair is that? And this is what he showed me. See to it, out of Hebrews 12, 15, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire, into darkness, into gloom and whirlwind, into the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him, that you do not stiffen your neck to him who is speaking. For if they for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns us from heaven. And his voice shook in the earth then, but now he has promised saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let's show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. 
in that moment, it was like, poof, so clear. It was like that moment when Paul showed us that picture a few weeks ago of the egret or the bird, whatever the bird that was. And the first image, we see the bird. Oh, that's pretty cool picture, Paul. Then he shows us. Oh, he puts it in a light room. Lights come into it. Oh, there's an alligator behind them lurking. We didn't even see it. It was like, oh my goodness. And that's exactly what had happened to me. He showed me that in my striving and faith and obedience, I had begun to let bitterness sneak up on me and the weapon against it was thanksgiving. How kind of him to show that to me. And in Psalm 104, he says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courtyards with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Is that worth thanksgiving? You know what it literally means? It means to reach your hand out, to extend your hand, to thank and praise God with one hand extended. You know, that's kind of why we do it. That's why I love what the New Testament does with the word it uses for worship, is that it adds the element of bowing a deeper level, takes it to a deeper level, and that's adding affection to it when it says to kiss the hand. You see, affection is not merely fondness towards something. It is the external response towards something that's had an effect on you. You see, I love Kelly. So I show affection because of who she was, who she is, who she's going to be in my life and what she means to me. But it was a response and it is an outward expression of an internal posture. You see, when I began to look around at all the wonderful things he had given me, a spouse who had been through an extraordinary amount of pain and heartache, who was growing in a relationship with God, along with growing closer to me in our shared adversity. A community of people around me and around her that prayed when we couldn't pray. We, didn't, we just put your head down almost sometimes. Who sang when we couldn't sing, who were there to encourage and help us in their own stories. I could not help but respond with affection towards him with thanksgiving and praise. Couldn't help it. Now for, for me as a guy, this isn't something that is natural to me to do. To, you know, even, in, even in worship, lifting up the hands, it's not a second nature thing to me. I have to think about it consciously. Why am I doing it? And so guys, I know our struggle here, all right? Especially us dudes. But what I want to tell you is we, for hours on end, watch Grown men in spandex pants and shirts throw a ball to each other for hours. And when Trevor Lawrence sinks that deep bomb and it goes all the way and we get a touchdown, I, I look a lot like this. Man, when's this going to be over? I got some lunch to get to. No, that's not what I look like. I lift my hands, I cheer. <laughs> I sometimes take my shirt off, I chest bump, I run around the room. You don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know. You know what it sounds a lot like? Praise. Praise. You see, we're all capable of this. We're all made for this. It's just what we're directing it towards. 
As Zach Neese puts it, praise is an expression of respect or gratitude as an act of worship. And here's a distinction that I found very helpful for me that I hope will help you too, because this is something that's passionate, I have a passion about. We often join these two terms, praise and worship, together in conjunction, like we have praise and worship time, we have praise and worship music, we have a whole genre dedicated to that. If you open up your phones or Spotify, Apple Music, it's all, it's praise and worship, which makes us think they're the same thing. When in reality, they are not exclusive to each other. You see, praise is an expression of worship, an external display of an inward posture. That's why at the end of the service, we have what's called expressions of worship. It's because we take in all that God is showing us, all that he's done for us. We contemplate that and we respond to it by going to his table, getting prayer, putting something to a cross, standing and singing. But make no mistake about it, there is no part of it where it's not action-oriented. Can you begin to see why it's not okay for us as believers who have been given so much. We sang in that second song, our chains are gone, our debts paid, the cross is over, come the grave. But Jesus' blood who sets us free brings death to death and life for me. Begin to see why it's not okay for us to stand in complete boredom with our arms folded, mouths closed, in complete and utter disregard for what's going on around us during praise. It's an oxymoron for that to happen. By its very definition, praise has to have expression or it's not praise at all. As saved people, we have too much to praise about, too much to be thankful for, too much to be grateful for, to let the rocks take our praise. Because make no mistake about it, he is going to get his, okay? But are we going to be the ones that give it to him or are we going to let the rocks do it for us? And so in thanksgiving, we choose to praise him for who he is what he was doing and for what he was going to do, regardless of the circumstance we were in, regardless of how we feel about ourselves, how we felt the situation could potentially turn out. We didn't do it blindly. It took faith, obedience, and thanksgiving. And that's the journey he took me on. And it didn't become real until he led me through a little bit of the fire to see that. Because I can easily... Like me being up here, this is not something I naturally do. I was telling Laurel yesterday when they were over that the first time I stood on stage, I was to share my testimony after some camp I went to and I got up there and I completely forgot what I was supposed to do. I might as well have just been, I mean, it was it's so embarrassing. And so it's like, well, if I did that, it can't get any worse than that. So I just, that's, this isn't a natural thing for me. That is natural for me. I can sing and I can, do that stuff because that's a talent he's given me. Okay? But in the midst of all of this, I had to rely on him with my faith, obedience, and thanksgiving. And the great news is about a year later, maybe two, it seemed like an eternity, but it was a while. It, it felt a lot longer than it probably was. We gave birth to our first son, who's named Alice, in a marathon birth, but it was incredible. And uh, yeah, that's him on the, on the right. And then two years later, we gave birth to Doc, our second son. And those are my dudes right there. They are as, you know, when you got boys, it's, it's, a, it's fun, 
you know? I love it though. And, it's, and it was just a testament to how faithful God is. And so some of you are at a point where it might, it might not be realized in your life yet. You might not have an Alice in the dark to continually point you and continually show you that God is faithful. He was gracious to me and to Kelly by giving them, for giving us them as a reminder, not only of his faithfulness, but of the journey of what worship is to me. And so the question that I had to ask myself in the journey he took me on is the same one you have to ask yourself today. Why do I worship? Some of you might need to just step out in faith because you're in that season like we were in. You have no idea what's gonna happen, but it's an unchanging God that we're singing about. It's an unchanging God that we're worshiping. There is no shadow due to change. Some of you might need to just simply obey, loosen up that stiff neck a little bit. You know? Some of you might just need to do what you always do and keep on praising, keep on lifting those hands, keep on shouting for joy for something so much more powerful than a football team or anything going on here. We've been raised from death to life and that that deserves celebrating. But whatever you feel the Holy Spirit saying to you today, don't harden your heart to it. God knows your story and in his grace, he's ready and willing to meet you exactly where you are. For some of you that might like look going back to get receive prayer, where they're going to pray that you comprehend with all the saints, the height, the depth, the breadth, the length, the love that he has for you in Christ Jesus. Some of you that might be taking communion where we go to his table where we remember what he's done for us. Some of you that might mean putting something to the cross as an act of worship, a prayer that you have, something you might need to give him, something he might want from you as an act of worship. Some of you might just want to stay in your seats and just lift your hands for the first time and step out in that risk. But whatever it is today, remember, there is action that has to happen. Respond to him today. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you first loved us while we were still sinners, it says. Thank you that we don't, there's not a a thing we have to do to earn this love. We don't have to become worthy of it to lift our hands and sing. That all you require is a broken and contrite heart and that's what you will not despise. Thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, who gave us so much. If we can't think of anything else to praise for, the sacrifice he gave us is worthy of that. So we love and we praise and adore you this morning for you are so worthy to receive the glory and the honor and power forever.